this morning, I, I want to start here. My wife and I have lived here in the Sacramento area for uh, almost seven years now. Before that, we were down in L.A. Uh, the, maybe the, the best thing, maybe the only good things, one of the only good things about living in Southern California is you're really close to Disneyland, okay? And if, you're, uh, if your parents are feeling really generous, then they might buy you season tickets to Disneyland for a couple of years, which happened to us and our family. So we got to go to Disneyland a lot. It was amazing. And like such good family time, just connecting and everything else. And then we moved up here, and we're kind of like, okay, what's the, what's the like Northern California version of Disneyland? Okay, and we're like, what, what does that look like? Some of you guys know exactly where this is going. So we're like, hey, let's check out Fairytale Town uh, slash Thunderland, okay? Why all the laughter, you guys? Um, a delightful place, a place that I would give a five-star Yelp review to. I have nothing um, against that place at all. But when you're coming from Disneyland, and you're like, this is going to be Northern California Disneyland, it's just, you know, you're like, walk in, and you're like, oh, okay. Um, it's a lot smaller. Uh, the plaster's chipped kind of everywhere. The characters are a little bit creepier. I don't know. And then there's stuff like there's like metal uh, slides in like full sunlight, you know, that's like the, the temperature of lava for your kids' legs. So you just kind of walk in, and you're expecting that, and it's like, boy, who, like, how did this happen? You know, like, how, like who's, who's doing this here? So I'm, I'm saying all that. Again, five-star review. Love the place. Uh, if any of you are involved with it, fantastic. Good work. Keep it up. Um, but I feel like Ecclesiastes, this is the sermon series we start this morning. And as we dive into that, I feel like that is exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing. You know, we, we all kind of live our lives and we become used to what we see around us. But he kind of steps back for a second. And it's like he's seeing life again for the first time. And he's saying like, you know, what's... What's really going on here? Like, how, how did it come to be this way? Like, why is everything the way that it is? And, and so I, I am excited to ask these questions with him and to, and to invite all of you guys along with me um, to be led on this journey. So here's, here's how he starts. I, I, lo I love this book so much. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. So these, these are the words of this preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Who, who does that sound like it's describing to you? Solomon. It sounds a lot like Solomon. So this is uh, David's son was Solomon. He was the king in Jerusalem. He was, he was like uh, the wisest person on earth. Um, he was like super wealthy. He had like a thousand wives, um, which is, you know, insane. But the guy just kind of had it all. More, more than one person should, should want, definitely. Um, and, and so we're, we're introduced to the book. It, it seems like it's Solomon. Now, the, the, the trick is never says that it's Solomon, okay? It, it, it kind of introduces it this way, and we're like, okay, that, that's got to be Solomon, right? But he never comes out and says, I am Solomon and whatever. There, most commentators think that this was written actually uh, later, and that it's someone that's kind of invoking the wisdom and the influence and the resources of Solomon in order to lead us on a journey. Um, I, I don't know what I think. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, that makes sense. There's a part of me that's like, it would make sense if it was actually Solomon. <clears throat> the beauty is it doesn't really matter a ton because what this author is doing, it, it, I, I would just say, may as well be Solomon. Let's treat it like Solomon. What the author is doing is not using the term Solomon, but they, they call themselves the preacher. The preacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem, the preacher. The Hebrew word is kohelet, okay? And what that basically means, it's the, it's the uh, Hebrew word, the, um, the word Ecclesiastes is the Greek translation of it. It all means like, preacher or gatherer, like someone that gathers a congregation together, or maybe, and this fits the context of Ecclesiastes, someone who gathers a lot of wise sayings or a lot of experiences, kind of gathers it together and then prepares this journey that he's going to go on and he's going to guide us on this journey. So as we go through this whole thing, we're going to walk with somebody who's intentionally trying to lead us um, on a journey. Uh, someone with the wisdom of Solomon, someone with the resources of Solomon, someone who can do and try 
everything. If you've, if you've ever wondered what it's like to have a thousand wives, we can go along the, this path and find out what that's actually like. And I, I think it's a really uh, valuable tool to get in. So here's what he says. Now we're expecting, okay, this is king in Jerusalem. This is like someone that comes from the Israelite tradition. So they're, they're all about like um, the wisdom tradition, the, the biblical truth, the Ten Commandments, those kinds of things. Um, and so we expect, turning to a book like this, oh, this is going to be very wise. This is going to be very uplifting. This is going to be very educational. But then you read into the second verse, and here's what we get. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is how he starts off. That's a shocking, shocking statement, right? Yeah, it, when you read through, if you're reading through the Old Testament, you get into Psalms, and there's, there's some tough Psalms, but most of them are just so uplifting and encouraging. You get through Proverbs, and you're just promised over and over again. I mean, if you live a good life, if you're godly, if you fear the Lord, things are going to go well with you. He's going to make your paths straight. It's going to be amazing, right? And you read that, and then you get into Ecclesiastes, and it's like that epic record scratch, like, and you're like, what? what's going on here? It's like as shocking as if, let's just say you're turning on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and all of a sudden, Mr. Rogers is like, you know what, kids? Here's the thing. None of you are really that special after all, you know? Like, it's, it's like that shocking of a statement um, that I think is being made here. And so we're, we're meant to kind of like step back and be like, okay, hang on. What's, like, what's going on here? What's he inviting us into? So vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. That word vanity, it's the, it's the Hebrew word havel. And um, it means like a breath or a vapor. Something that kind of is there for a second and then vanishes and disappears. So vanity is a, is a, is a pretty good word for it. Um, meaningless, a lot of uh, translations We'll say, um, one of my favorite descriptions of it I read this week was um, Chun Liang Xiao says, something that is Havel cannot be grasped or controlled. It may refer to something that one experiences or encounters for only a moment, but it cannot be grasped, neither physically nor intellectual, uh, intellectually. So the idea with it is it's, it's um, a little bit like it, 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 exi- it like, um, evades our grasp. We can't quite lay hands on it. So um, the, my favorite way of rendering Havel is enigmatic. Everything is enigmatic. So, so, so when you repeat a thing like this, vanity of vanities, in Hebrew you don't have like bold, underline, or whatever to kind of make your point. What you do is you repeat things. So think of like the holy of holies. It's like the absolute holiest place, right? Or think of song of songs, like song of Solomon, song of songs. It's like this is the best song that there is, right? Um, so vanity of vanities or, or like enigmatic, utterly enigmatic. It's kind of just getting us to know, like, man, life is way more problematic, way more tricky, way more mysterious um, than we think it's going to be. And and so he's speaking this way, and uh, one one commentator said, Ecclesiastes feels like it wasn't written on Sunday morning. It wasn't written on Sunday afternoon. It was written on Monday morning, right? When this person is just over the spiritual high and heading back into work, like, that's when Ecclesiastes was written. There's an honesty to it whether you can just say something like this, all of life is just enigmatic, maybe meaningless, maybe, maybe just uh, eludes our grasp. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Her- Herman Melville, who wrote uh, Moby Dick, he says that Ecclesiastes is the truest of all books. So he, he loved it because he's like, yeah, it just kind of says it like it is, and I love it. <clears throat> There's this, uh, I don't know how to describe him, but he's a guy that I follow on Twitter, okay? His name's Josh Carlos. He says that Proverbs is Solomon's Twitter, okay? So you just kind of lay out your statements on Twitter and, and agree with it or not, but that's Proverbs. Proverbs is Solomon's Twitter. Psalms is David's SoundCloud. That's where he put, uploads all his music for us to listen to. Ecclesiastes is Solomon's alt account where he posts what he never would post on main, okay? Now, yeah, there may be like, actually, a higher percentage of first service was like, oh, yeah, I'm all about that one. Um, it's like he made up another name to like post some like edgier stuff, Okay. 
And then he, just to finish it off, the quote, he says, Song of Songs is Solomon's Tinder. But I, like, I just, probably not, but, you know, <laughs> just reading the quote, that's all. Uh, Philip Ryken says, Ecclesiastes is for people who have their doubts about God, but still can't stop thinking about him. I think that is a fantastic description of what we're going to find as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes. Someone that has their doubts about God, but just still cannot stop thinking about him. And I feel like this is kind of true from one of two directions. So, so I think we're, we're a pretty diverse crowd in terms of like where we're at with the Lord here. I mean, there's people in this room that like you've never had a doubt in your life. You've never had a struggle. Like I, I, I love that. I'm encouraged by those of you that are in that spot. Like you get a little bummed out and you put on some worship music and you're just like, yep, me and God are good, right? Others of you are like, I'm barely hanging on. I don't know if I ever experienced anything real spiritually. And that like both of those people are in this room. And I think that's beautiful. If you're like me, you kind of start in a place where um, you, you're like a faithful setting. I mean, God is good, right? And the Bible is true. And like you're just charging along. But then you reach a point in life where um, your kind of direction shifts because there's these things that raise questions. So maybe it's, um, maybe it's a, a cancer diagnosis from somebody you love. Maybe it's a death of somebody you love. Maybe it's like seeing all these cases of like spiritual abuse or, or physical abuse in the name of the Lord. And it's just kind of, you're on this right path, but you kind of have these questions and these doubts that come up and you're like, I don't know, like is all this as clear and simple as I thought it was? And you kind of veer in and Ecclesiastes is ready to like meet you in that space, in that questioning and that doubt. On the other hand, there's others of you that are like, I'm really like, uh, I love the scientific method. I love just kind of figuring out hard facts. I want to reason it out for myself, think for myself. But I find myself, I'm on that trajectory, but I find myself really intrigued by spiritual things or by who God is or, or like the, the, the historicity of Jesus or whatever. And so it's like we're kind of coming at it from the same points, but the beauty, or from different points, but the beauty of Ecclesiastes is it's there for us. And it's ready to kind of just let us ask our questions. And he's going to like take the initiative and really say some shocking things about God and about life and about what it means to be godly. And he's going to uh, wrestle within himself and sort of invite us to wrestle along with him. So I, I love the honesty of the whole thing. See, the thing is, this, it, Ecclesiastes is not so much about just reaching the destination. It's about a journey on the way there. And so as we go through this week by week, what I would love is to see, okay, what are we resonating with in here? What, what questions does he ask that we're like, you know what? I, I don't have the courage to voice that myself, at least not publicly, um, but I am uh, encouraged to know that somebody else has that question. And here's the beauty. This is literally in the Bible, okay? This is literally in the Bible. You can quote anything in Ecclesiastes, and you're, you're quoting the Bible, and I just love that thought. It is, it is uh, written for people who have their doubts about God, but who can't stop thinking about him. That is a beautiful thing. Now, here's where he takes us in this journey. So this blanket, shocking statement, and now he's going to unpack it a little bit. So here's the kind of main question for the entire book. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? All right? What, what's the value? Like, what, what is uh, humanity? What are we gaining by all this work we're doing? Because, look, we're working hard, okay? And I think we're working harder than ever in some ways, right? We had the illusion when COVID hit, and we're kind of sitting back, and we're like, you know, I'm kind of learning a lot of things about, like, boy, I used to work so hard, and it's really good to rest, and we were all really reflective and wise for a minute. And then I feel like as things opened up and whatever, we're just, like, white-knuckling it again, and we're just working so hard, and it's just, it's crazy. Everyone's just so worn out. And he asked the question, like, what are we gaining from all this? What are we gaining from all this wisdom? I, I, we had a men's breakfast yesterday, and I got to sit and chat with um, two guys. One guy uh, uh, nearing retirement age, one guy a little past retirement age, and both of them saying, 
I put in so many extra hours at work. I, I, was, I was dragged back into project after project. I put so much of myself into it, and I look back, and it's easy to have regrets. What was the point? Like, what did I gain from the extra that I put in, from pushing it over the edge? And there's a deeper theology of work and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like it's a good reminder, right? Like, what, what do we gain? What's the point of it all? Like, are we actually going to accomplish anything that we feel like is actually going to matter? And so he's looking around, and he's asking the question like this. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And he's going to use that phrase, under the sun, again and again and again in Ecclesiastes. You're going to get used to that as like a chorus throughout the whole book. He's looking at life under the sun. So, so the picture is, there's the sun, anything under it, life on this earth. And if you just take life on this earth, that's everything that's happening under the sun. And I, I picture Solomon looking at it like this. So if you're standing out there, he's, he's clearly like looking at the world on a sunny day. It's under the sun. And if you're going to look around and kind of assess things and the sun's shining bright, um, what do you do? You put your hand up, right, to kind of block the sun. And so you're kind of shielding your eyes from the sun a little bit, and you're, you're getting like the lay of the land out here. And here's Solomon, and what he's doing is he's saying, like, I'm looking at life under the sun, and he's shielding his eyes. He's not looking at anything above, and he's just saying, what's going on here, and how can I make sense of it? And I think that's really helpful because there's a lot of things that are true that Solomon will eventually say, but that he doesn't always say because he's just observing things from here down, right? And he's not considering God above and what he's doing. He's not considering how it all might fit together and be meaningful in a bigger picture sense. He's simply looking at life and he's saying, like, if we just look at it like this, like, what's the point? What are we all so busy for? What are we all working so hard for? What are we all stressing ourselves out for so much? So to get us on this journey, he asks these kind of key questions, and now he's going to give us a beautiful but really depressing poem about how it all works. So let's look at verses 4 to 7 here. He says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, and it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. He's looking at this whole thing, and he's just seeing, like, man, nothing really gets accomplished in the world, right? Like, actually, if you think about life, it's way more depressing than we often allow ourselves to acknowledge. And so he's looking at people. A generation comes, a generation goes, right? And so, like, here we are. We're excited to be alive. You know, I'm, I'm a... 40 years old, like absolutely at my peak, and I'm like at this point where I figured it all out, and I still have mostly like energy to get stuff done. It's like, man, this is amazing, but give it a little time, right? Blink a few times, and I'm going to be there at the end of it all, and I'm going to be looking at this next generation, that they're going to figure it all out, right? And then they're going to turn 40, then they're going to turn 80, and just, he's like, just, (laughs) the world changes. The world stays the same. The people on it changes, but like, think about this. I mean, uh, I, like, one day, someone's going to have my job, right? One day someone's going to live in my home, right? So one day someone's going to take the space on this earth that I took up. W- will my life matter or not? Like, and, and should I care if it does or not? That's just the reality is that life marches on. Um, he talks about the sun uh, rising and then setting and then coming back again to the place where it rose from. Like, did it accomplish anything or was it just in a circle? The wind does the same thing. North, south, back around, it just goes around. Is it accomplishing anything or is it just spinning around? The streams always down to the sea. Just keep pouring, pouring, pouring into this thing, but we don't see the sea level rising until recently, which maybe is a little concerning depending on your political view. I don't know. Um, but, but they just, all these rivers and, and what actually changes. And so he's just saying, it all is so busy and everything's happening all the time, but nothing ever changes. 
Um, I'm going to quote to you from Pink Floyd, and I want to just acknowledge the irony of that, okay? But, but here's what I think is beautiful. I can read the preacher in, song, or in Ecclesiastes, and then I can read Pink Floyd, and they're saying the exact same thing. This is, uh, this is from The Dark Side of the Moon. It's from the song called Time, and the, the song goes like this. You run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. I mean, does that sound exactly like Ecclesiastes or what? You're chasing the sun, but it just comes around. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time. Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. Hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. I'd add, yeah, it's kind of the American way. We just kind of hang on in quiet desperation. The time is gone. The song is over. Thought I had something more to say. Now, that is insanely depressing. It's a, it's a lovely song, insanely depressing, but it is literally what the preacher is saying in Ecclesiastes. So yes, we'd expect it from Pink Floyd, but we would not expect that in the Bible. And I love that it just validates this human experience of, you know what, when I really stop to think about it, life is kind of uh, enigmatic. It's kind of meaningless. It's kind of elusive. Like that's an important thing to say. And look at how he says it in verse eight, the next verse. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I just love that. He's like, look around, and you just see, man, everything, and everyone is just exhausted. We can't even, like, address it. We can't even speak to it because we're just so worn out. We look all you want. Your eye will never be satisfied with what you see. You'll always want to see more, take in more. Your ears will never be full with hearing. You're always going to want to hear more, see more. Again, I need to take you to the musicians. So the Rolling Stones have a song called satisfaction, right? But it's, I can't get no satisfaction. And, and, and I try and I try and I try, right? And I can't get that. So I, I thought, man, wouldn't that be cool um, to play that song in church? I'm like, there's no way the Rolling Stones like would be. But I, I read through the lyrics and I'm like, you know what? Actually, it checks out. It's just Ecclesiastes. Um, uh, it really is. You um, too has a beautiful song called, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? So they're, they're everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. They have a, they have a, a better answer than Rolling Stones for sure, but they, it's there. John Mayer, if you prefer, John Mayer has a song called Something's Missing, and the whole song is just him going through the checklist of, try this, try this, try this, try this, and something is missing. I don't know how to fix it. That's his whole point. I, I, by the way, I have a really killer uh, playlist rolling for Ecclesiastes series, so <laughs> you, you might hear some unusual things in the worship center as you come and as you go, um, but it is, uh, it's coming out really lovely, I have to say, and, it's, and, it, and honestly, it is um, extremely biblical, so there you go. Um, I think the, the idea is, I mean, we're just like nothing ever gets us there. Nothing ever satisfies us, and we keep shifting in, in this insane optimism and naivete that we have. We keep shifting. Maybe this will do it. Maybe this will do it, and it keeps not satisfying, and yet we still keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. Um, when, when, when Laura and I bought our first house, uh, we were down in Southern California, and we had, that man, like not a lot of money. Um, but maybe, like, as the market crashed, maybe just enough to buy something, right? And so we were in that whole thing, and um, we were talking to our realtor, and we're like, man, we, we've got three hundred, we're looking at $350,000 homes right now. If we could just, like, get pre-approved for, like, 400000 like, we could really kind of get something that works for us. And she says, um, our realtor told us, like, I, I understand that you're saying that. I understand why it feels like that, but I just have to tell you that when I'm selling a house for 300000 and when I'm selling houses over a million dollars, Everyone always says exactly what you're saying. If I could just be approved for a little bit more, then I could get the house that I want. Um, D- David Gibson is this uh, scholar, and he says basically what, what happens with life, kind of mirroring Ecclesiastes, is we're all just like playing pretend all the time. And so we're just saying, let's just pretend that if 
I buy that new house, if I can get into this house instead of that one, then I'm going to be happy. Let, let's just pretend that, man, if I, could be, uh, if I could be married finally, that everything would be happy, right? Or there's other people, let's just pretend that if I could be not married anymore, then everything would be fine. It, let's pretend that if my kids could just do this or that or achieve this or that, or if I just made this amount of money, and he's just saying we spend our lives pretending, and deep down we kind of know, like, yeah, why would I think that this one thing would tip me over and I'll finally be happy? We see just how vain and troublesome all of it is. And so the preacher kind of stops all that. He's, he's, he's almost like playing uh, through chapter by chapter, playing Mythbusters with like everything. Like is life, is happiness found in pleasure? Let's test out that theory and blow something up in the process. Let's, is it found in wisdom? Is it found in money? Like he just goes thing after thing and he's busting these myths and he's just saying, join me on this journey. Let's figure this out. Let's, let's test our assumptions and let's doubt our doubts and let's see where it leads us. I, I love this approach so much. And here we go. Last few uh, lines in his poem here. Verse 9. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So he's saying, we're all just doing the same old stuff, right? It's, if it's happening now, it's happened before. I can promise you, if you're like, hey, guess what? I figured it out. Here's the new thing. I just figured out something no one has ever done before. And he's like, sorry, I hate to tell you, but like, at least in spirit, that thing has been done before. So um, first person to ever climb Mount Everest. I mean, talk about a significant achievement. Uh, Tenzing Norga was the, the Sherpa, and then he led this uh, rich white person, Edmund Hillary, up to the top of Mount Everest, and they were able to stand there. First people ever to do it. Incredible, right? Incredible accomplishment. First person to step foot onto the moon was Neil Armstrong. Incredible achievement, right? That's amazing. We'll write about that in history books forever. But the point is, does it matter, right? Here's people being like, okay, here's a new thing. No one's ever put their foot here before. And you just see the preacher kind of yawning and like, yeah, yeah, sure, sort of. But also like, who cares, right? People have always discovered new continents or new cities or new areas. They've always tried and done new and different things. And it feels so significant, but really it's all kind of happened before. And what's the point of it even when it does? And so he's pulling us back in this, this last verse. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things among those yet to come. Like, just, it's not going to matter. No one's going to remember. No one's going to care. It's not going to be significant. And I'll tell you, if I'm perfectly honest, there's a part of my heart that is terrified at that thought. What if I live my whole life and I'm insignificant completely and everybody forgets about, like, who I am and I'm, like, no one cares, no one knows. That's a terrifying thought to me on some level, and probably for a lot of us, Right? But here's the preacher in the Bible just literally saying, well, yeah, but that's how it's going to be, you know? You are going to live your life. You're going to do things that you think matter, and it's just not going to matter. He leaves us in this really dark, honest place, and I, I'm just telling you, I love that he does this. I love that there's this level of honesty in the Bible itself, because I think so much of our Christian culture is we, like, walk through, and we want to be, like, positive for each other, right? We want to be encouraging each other. We want to, like, have it all under control, and it is off-putting. When you have a friend or a loved one that is kind of doubting or, or walking away, it's really unsettling because you have this fear in your heart, like, what if it's not true? Like, I, I don't admit it to myself, but I wonder, what if it's not true? And what if this smart, intelligent, lovely person that I know and love is walking away? What is that? What are the implications of that for my faith? And so we don't let ourselves be honest, and we don't let ourselves ask questions. And here is the preacher just saying, 
hey, look, I've got all the wisdom in the world. I've got all the money in the world. I've got everything someone can want, and I'm telling you that I'm testing this out. Would you find out with me? Let's ask the honest questions, and let's see where it leads. See, see we're in this, like, generation where deconstruction is kind of like a big word and a big concept where people are deconstructing their faith. And they're kind of, a lot, a lot more people are just uh, stepping away from church like, ah, there's probably something to it, but I don't really know. And I'm stepping away. I'm taking some time off. I'm, I'm stepping back. And um, it gets bashed a lot, that idea of deconstructing. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of unhealthy ways to deconstruct. But I feel like the fact that Ecclesiastes in the Bible validates on some level that approach of just saying, yeah, why, why don't we ask a hard question? Why, why do we have to be terrified of what the answer will be? Because what, what's going to happen is we go through week by week. There's a series. I, I love this book so much. There's a series of quests that he goes on. So we're going to look at like six different quests that he takes, and we're going to take them with him. He goes through these sections of deconstructed Proverbs that you read them, and you're like, no, oh, this is just like Proverbs, except that he's saying very unproverbs like things in that. And so he takes us on these journeys, and then there's these interludes where he's coming back to like, yeah, but— Here's the thing, I know this about God, and you see this man just wrestling, and I would love to see us wrestle along with him, and just take that, the steps in this journey, and let's be open and honest with each other and with ourselves. Let's be really open and honest before the Lord. I, I, I feel like we're afraid sometimes. I, I've, had, I've had a moment where, um, you know, I was in college, and I was figuring stuff out, and I was kind of wrestling with my faith for myself, and I I had a moment where it was super dramatic, but I was a teenager, so it just is what it is. But I drove off into the, into the night and um, parked my car, and I was, like, yelling at God. And, you know, and just, and there's a side of me that looks back. I'm like, oh, boy, boy I made a fool of myself. How silly. There's a side of myself that's like, you know what, man? That was awesome because I felt something deeply. God knew I was feeling something deeply. He's not afraid to hear someone say true things to him, honest things to him. And he's also big enough to help shepherd me through that, right? And so I would love for us to be a church that— um, we can be there for each other in those things that we can walk this journey and not be terrified of what's coming. So he's going to lead us on this journey. And what I want to do is kind of uh, put things in perspective as we go. So Ecclesiastes is a small part of the Bible, but it's an important part, and we, we neglect it too much, so I'm glad we can do here. But what I want to do is also every week also kind of take a, a half step back and, and lift our eyes up a little bit. And so Solomon's looking under the sun, right? Let's look up from time to time and just kind of remind ourselves you know, there's these bigger things that we see are true. And I, I want to give you this verse that's been really encouraging to me this week. This is in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, there's this reminder, and we're going to take the journey. I want us to take it honestly. We don't have to assume a conclusion, but I want to hold these things in tension so that we can see the bigger picture. Solomon is sitting here, and he's looking at everything under the sun, and, and, and meanwhile, fast forward a bit, and we see something about Jesus, and Paul's saying, yes, but look at this. Everything that you're looking at and assessing under the sun Jesus himself created, and all of it finds its ultimate meaning, not independently, not on its own, not scattered about, but it finds its ultimate meaning when it's all summed up in him, when he holds it together. And of course, there's mystery in that, but there's this reminder that there's a bigger, truer thing. See, I was picturing like this. Solomon's there. He's looking under the sun. He's looking at, okay, look at all these streams, right? So it says the streams flow to the ocean, and, uh, but, the, but the sea is never full, right? They go back to where the streams start. So you can look at things under the sun and be like, how depressing is this? All these streams just keep running their, their entire lives, running, running, running down into the ocean, and the sea never fills up. Life is depressing. 
And what he's doing is he's looking under the sun, and that's a true observation. And that fits his experience, and I think we could all affirm, like, boy, that's bleak, right? But if you could kind of take your hand away, and you could look at the big picture, what happens when the, when the water is running down to the sea? It's, it's kind of watering the land all the way that it goes, right? And when it gets down to the ocean, what happens is, uh, miraculously, this water gets pulled up into the air, like it's invisible, we can't see it happening, gets pulled up into the air, it gets shaped into clouds, it gets blown inland by the same wind that's just doing its nonsense circular thing, blows those clouds up to the top so that they can, in theory at least, rain down onto the earth and fill those streams once again so they can keep flowing. See, if you look at it like this and you see the depressing nature of it, you're correct. It is depressing. It is bleak, right? But if you can look and have a bigger perspective, there's something in that that also is beautiful. And I think that's exactly how it works through the book of Ecclesiastes. I think that's how it works in life. I think it's how it works in the whole of Scripture that, man, we need to take this journey. Because a lot of us have these questions in our hearts that we've been hiding, we've been holding down. Let's pull them out into the open. And let's see, man, if there's something up above the sun that's worth considering, let's consider it together. Man, there's so much material for worship in here. There's some, there's some dark chapters, but man, there's a whole lot of beauty in the whole thing. Um, yesterday at our, at our men's breakfast, uh, Steve Sanchez was sharing about our desires and, um, and, you know, how just, I don't know, how our desires get disordered and lead us, disordered and lead us astray. And he quoted Augustine, one of my favorite Augustine quotes. Um, he says, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I think that is a, uh, as fitting a way to begin the book of Ecclesiastes as I can imagine. Uh, our, our hearts are never going to find the rest that they need. We, we'll go on this journey, we should, but where they're ultimately going to find their rest is in Jesus himself because he's made us for him. Our, our mission as a church, just as a reminder, our mission as a church is that we are seeking to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. So where, where I believe this journey ends is us finding life in Jesus together. Like, I really believe that. But we got a quest, right? We've got a journey. We've got to be open and honest. Otherwise, the destination is not very meaningful. And so I'm excited to do this. And I'm going to invite us as we, um, as we kind of process that. Now we're kicked off. Now we're in Ecclesiastes. We're committed until Christmas, okay? So buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be amazing. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite us to kind of take this moment here and let's just have a moment of honesty before the Lord, okay? So, um, and, and honestly, before yourself. So I'm going to ask you, if you're comfortable, just close your eyes for a minute. And in a, in a moment of quiet here, I'm just going to invite all of us to um, voice that doubt or that concern or that complaint or that wrestle that you have. When I say that, what comes to your mind? And would you acknowledge that to yourself and to the Lord in a moment of silence here? Lord, we hear before you, um, sitting here under the sun, but also, Lord, under your loving care, your, your benevolent reign over our lives, Lord. Um, I know many of my brothers and sisters here, and myself included, have sort of voiced some of these things that eat at us, that nag at us, the questions that we haven't found good answers for, or perhaps the, the answers have run dry for us. Lord, would you hold these questions that we have? Lord, may we all take this invitation to lift our voices of concern and doubt and confusion up to you. 
Lord, may we, may we go on this journey in your presence and with you alongside of us. Lord, I, just, I know, Lord, there's, there's some beautiful people that are simply rejoicing, and I'm so thankful for that. I also know, Lord, there's a, a lot of people in this room that are burdened and weighed down and, and wondering how it all ends. And, Lord, you are, you are the God of those who rejoice, and you are the God of those who mourn. And we're simply here in your people. Thank you for this reminder that life is hard that there's an enigma to the whole thing. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would be people of a journey and not just of a simple answer or a dogmatic statement, um, but people on a journey. And may, may that journey ultimately lead us where you want it to go. Lord, would you be our good shepherd in this process? Um, would you give us love and grace for each other as we walk through? And may we May we find opportunities to just set our eyes on you and worship you for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name.